This is Under the Dome, the News and Observer, NC Insider Politics Podcast. I'm Dawn Vaughn here with Brian Murphy, and it's Monday, May 2nd, 2022. We are a few days into the beginning of early voting. We're going to talk about that and a few other things that you should be on the lookout for. Um, First off, this is Brian Murphy's uh, final Under the Dome podcast uh, as Insider Editor. So, Murph, thanks for thanks for doing this one more round, and uh, we've really appreciated your work. and And sorry to, to lose you in the press court. Of course, thank thank you so much, Dawn. And it's been awesome uh, being the insider editor and seeing how much people care about that publication. And I will be a fan, and I'll be reading all of your stuff from the state legislature. And thanks for all your DC work too, Boris. <laughs> Uh, so let's talk about uh, what's going on. We're like just barely like a little over two weeks from the right from the primary and early voting is underway. Turnout is going to be a big thing. Of course, a lot of our general election um, uh, campaigns are going to be decided in the primary. Some won't. Some it doesn't even matter. Sherry, Sherry Beasley, like we already know, Sherry Beasley. I'm always thinking of Sherry Berry. <laughs> Uh, Beasley is the presumptive uh, Democratic nominee for for Senate. So, you know, is that going to bring Democrats out, do you think? Are they going to care as much about these down-ballot races versus the Republican Senate primary, which, of course, is wildly different? Yeah, we saw almost historic voter turnout in the 2020 general election. And so it's going to be a huge letdown when we go from, from those numbers to seeing how many people turn out for these primaries, which could be 10% of the electorate, 15% of the electorate that turns out for the primaries. Um, I think you're right. On the Senate side, the Democratic side of that, there may not be a ton of people who turn out for that race. So you're counting on congressional races like in uh, North Carolina 4 or sheriff's races in counties across across the state to, to really register turnout. Um, House House Democrats in the, in the North Carolina House uh, filled 93 of the 120 seats. Um, so in you know, nearly 30 seats, there isn't even a Democrat on the ballot. So how will that impact um, impact turnout? So it, it, I think it's going to wi- vary wildly. That would be my guess, is that in, in places where the congressional race, uh, like 13 or 11 or four, have a lot of people on the ballot, you might see higher turnout. In places where the congressional race isn't all that exciting and maybe there's nothing else really on the ballot, then you, then maybe you'll see voter turnout depressed a bit. So, I mean, all the legislative races, some it's just the same people, it's the incumbent, and they're either unopposed in the primary or unopposed in the general. You know, a lot of like the leaders in the General Assembly have basically already going to be in office another term just for signing up. Uh, so it could be, you know, how much do you care about those state races, whatever's going on in your county races, like you mentioned, the sheriff and the congressional races. And as we've talked about in the podcast before, of course, there's there's two big triangle congressional races. NC4 is one to watch because that primary Democrats, you know, safe blue district, whoever wins the primary is, is going to be, you know, unless, you know, barring some unforeseen circumstance is going to is going to be the next member of Congress. The other district, the new district, is one that you've written about more, both on, t- tell us what that matters for for Congress, but also the legislature and what's at play. Sure. Well, it, to go back to four for a second, uh, if this is a 
a truly Republican wave election, tsunami type election, then maybe four gets into play. But but barring anything out of that we've never seen before in politics, whoever wins the Democratic primary is going to go to Congress from that district. I, I took a look at Southern Wake County, which fast growing communities of Fuquay, Verena and Holly Springs. Um, and they really overlay with a couple of important races. So there's House District 36 and House District 37. Uh, there's also a, se- a state Senate District 17. But the congressional district is District 13, a newly drawn district, doesn't have an incumbent, includes, it actually shoots up into Raleigh a little bit, but most of the district is in Southern Wake County and then off into Johnson County, parts of Harnett County as well. Um, that has a crowded primary on both sides. Democrats, Sam Searcy and Wiley Nickel are running. Uh, the Republicans have about eight candidates. Uh, you might have seen some ads for Kelly Daughtry. They're, they've been everywhere. Bo Hines is the Trump-endorsed candidate. Uh, Chad Slot has gotten some attention. Devan Barber, uh, Kent Kiersey. Uh, there are lots and lots of candidates and, and sort of new names. Renee Elmers is running in that district. She's a former congresswoman. Uh, it'll be really interesting to see who, who comes out of that. But I, I looked at Southern Wake and sort of you know, most of Wake County is represented by Democrats. Uh, the only Republican in the state legislature that from Wake County is Aaron Paré, who represents a district that includes Fuquay and much of Holly Springs. That's a traditionally Republican part of the county. Um, and Republicans are confident they can hold on to that seat. Democrats believe that the population growth over time is going to give them a chance to win some parts of that seat or parts of that d- district and parts of the county. What's interesting to me is who wins that part of Wake County in the 13th? Because that may go a long way toward determining who wins the, the overall primary. Do you think it's really telling us somewhat of like the future of who's moved here, depending on who gets in the the result of the primary? Or I mean, I don't the general I think would be so hard to predict because you don't know who it's gonna be, especially with the Republican range. I feel like there's a lot of different types of candidates. Um, you know, Wiley Nickel is a is a current sitting uh, state senator. Um Cersei was just, you know, like last session ago. I was a state senator, but, um, you know, from Renee Elmers to Bo Hines, like, you know, Slot is new on the scene. What is what is this going to mean? I don't know. You know, yeah, I think that's what makes this race so interesting. The district is brand new. Johnston County has a lot of say in this district. All of Johnston is in this district. We know Johnston County is growing. Uh, Southern Wake is growing and it's going to have a big say in this district. And And I think everybody's interested to see, you know, Skip Stam represented parts of this uh, county in the in the House the NC House for a long time. It was in his last races, he ran unopposed. And that's how Republican these seats were. Um, Sidney Batch in 2018 was able to win this seat in the, in the North Carolina House. So that was a great year for Democrats, particularly in the suburbs. Uh, Aaron Paré came in 2020 and won the seat back for Republicans. And uh, I talked to some Republicans and they said, does this district snap back to Republicans by about five points? which has sort of been, you know, where you might expect it to be, or is it such a big wave that it snaps back to Republicans by 20 points? And and I think if it snaps back by five points, or if it snaps back by 20 points, you might get a different candidate out of the Republican primary. Um, if it's a lot of Trump voters, Bo Hines has a better chance. If it's uh, some older school voters, then maybe Kelly Daughtry, whose father served in the state legislature, she's put a lot of her own money into this race. Uh, she has maybe some more name recognition in, in parts of, of the state. Uh, maybe she come, maybe she wins it. Maybe Renee Elmers, who's somebody who has represented this. Or maybe we see kind of more of a grassroots candidate like Chad Slotta come through. It's It really is a, a wide range. And I think it depends on how far Republican the, the parts of Wake County and, and Johnson County go. And it could be a sign of, 
You know, again, we were talked about growth and new people here. Are they paying attention yet? You know, we knew we know that the unaffiliated voters is the largest group of, of voters in the state, and it's driven by population growth because you don't need to sign up with a party uh, for whatever reason. Um, and you can like unaffiliated voters can pick whichever uh, major party ballot has a primary ballot if you want to vote or not vote at all. So if turnout is low, you know, on either side, on either party, that could, you know, impact the majority, the supermajority in the legislature. You know, of course, the congressional delegation will just well, we don't know. So really, the big thing to watch is like, what are these what are these numbers like? Do people care enough to early vote? Is that even going to be an indication for us or we'll have to wait till May 17th? Well, and unaffiliated voters, uh, as you've written about in the past, have the majority uh, or the plurality. There are more unaffiliated voters than there are registered Republicans or Democrats. When I did the story on, on Southern Wake, I found there are more uh, unaffiliated voters in Wake County than there are registered Democrats or registered Republicans. So that statewide trend is also true in North in, in Wake County. Um, I talked to both the, the caucus directors for the North Carolina Democrats and the North Carolina Republicans in, in the in the House. And what I found um, very interesting is they have wildly different um, opinions on where the, as you might expect, on how the election could turn out. Republicans are super confident that they would get a super majority. They need to win. They need to net three seats, at least three seats um, in, in the general election, and they would have a super majority in, in the North Carolina House. Democrats are equally confident that they can um, increase their number of seats by, by, by at least three, and which would keep Republicans as a majority, but not a super majority which if you're listening to this podcast, you know, is super important because Roy Cooper is the governor and, and we'll be able to use the veto power um, as long as Republicans don't have a supermajority in, in both chambers. And what if they do have a supermajority? I mean, that's like the big issue for the general, I guess. And, and some indicators of how the primary turns out will tell us what, what that's going to look like. Yeah. Right now, the generic ballot in North Carolina has Republicans up by about 10 points for state legislature, 11 points for congressional races. Uh in talking to the in talking to sources and experts, that would be a tsunami that we've never seen anything like that. If the generic ballot stays there, um, a typical generic ballot has Democrats by about three or four. And, and that's led to the Republican majorities in, in both chambers. So just because the generic ballot says Democrats by three or four, that's that's usually an even election. Um, if it stays at nine or 10 and, and I talked to, to both Republicans and Democrats who said if it even gets down to six or seven, we're looking at a Republican, you know, wave taking over supermajorities in both the House and the Senate. And so in some ways, the the people running for office, the Democrats running for office are beholden kind of to the national environment. Um, what happens to gas prices? What happens to inflation? What happens to the economy? Democrats also pointed out what happens in June when Roe v. Wade is decided by the Supreme Court. And does the Supreme Court toss Roe v. Wade, uh, which in which case Democrats are somewhat optimistic that would lead to a lot of probably suburban uh, voters, particularly women, maybe coming back to the party and voting for Democrats to protect abortion rights. Um, so there's a lot that can happen, as we've seen over the last couple of years. It's only May. November seems a long, long time away. And also, um, I'll use this to plug our News and Observer Voter Guide, where we sent out dozens and dozens of candidate questionnaires um, to give everyone that's running in, in the primaries or the triangle races, statewide races, a chance to answer questions like, Roe versus Wade and what happens. Uh, climate change, we have a question on that. We have a question on inflation, which is at the you know top of mind for everybody now. Is it going to be by the general? 
you know, and then, oh, that's right, COVID, that was a thing. So that's a question too, you know, in our congressional ones, you know, what do you think is the federal government's role? So um, it'll be interesting to see. And in the state legislative ones, we asked about, uh, you know, what should the minimum wage be? and, And if, and what should be done about working poor? You know, test scores are down. What should be done about education? Um, th- those questionnaires are great if you don't know who these candidates are, because lots of people don't. There's a lot of new names on the ballot. Uh, those questionnaires are a great way to find out a little bit about the candidates before you go and cast your vote. All right. So there's a lot to watch this week. We're like getting down with just these last few weeks of the uh, ahead of the primary. I'm sure that you all will get many more mailers and see ads and, and everything else with everyone trying to get you to go vote in the primary. Uh, So we'll wrap up this episode with a segment that we've brought back recently to Under the Dome that's been a fan favorite. This is Dawn's favorite part of the whole podcast. We could just do headliner of the week and call it a a podcast. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) I'll just pick one headliner. Um, And it's something really cool, as um, obviously I wouldn't have made a headliner if I didn't think so. But it's uh, it's Freedom Park, which you'll see, uh, listeners, there'll be a story coming from me uh, soon on this, and I've written about it before. And Freedom Park is what's going on on that block between the executive mansion and the legislative building. And for those of you who have been through a couple of budget cycles, um, you know, those that passed and those that didn't, this is the $1.5 million that came through uh, for this project that is going to um, be a really cool public art project, shine a light on the African-American experience in North Carolina and construction is underway. They are doing some state archaeology work with the the land that it once was and find out everything that's there. I also learned when I was out on that site um, that there was a well at one point um, on the legislative building block and it could have been gone. It could be under the building or in that grass somewhere. So that's a little tidbit for those of you that work at the building somewhere. There's a well. So my headliner of the week is Freedom Park. Um, there'll be many more stories to come about that project. Murph, what's your? Uh, th- this is a boring pick because he's been headliner of the week for uh, probably since he before he took office. But uh, the ongoing saga with Madison Cawthorn is, is certainly my headliner of the week. Uh, just in the last week, we've seen uh, he was charged or cited for carrying a gun at the Charlotte airport. We've seen reports of um, videotapes or pictures of him in lingerie. Uh, a complaint was filed by the Fire Madison Cawthorn Group up in Asheville. Um, I don't think this is going to end. I think we're going to see uh, Madison Cawthorn's talked about it, a drip, drip, drip campaign by those who are against him, try to get him out of office in the primary, which is a highly contested primary. Uh, State Senator Chuck Edwards is, is emerging, I think, as the most viable candidate against him. Cawthorn trying to avoid, I think, the, the getting below 30%, which would trigger a runoff in that race and which would lead to more drip, 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 I think, uh, before the before the July 26th second primary, if it comes to that. Uh, polls have indicated Cawthorn's numbers are sliding, but he's still leading that race. I I think th- that these, uh, you know, what uh, Cawthorn would call establishment Republicans who are going after him, Tom Tillis has been pr- particularly vocal about it, uh, seems like a chance to knock him out. And if they don't, I mean, look at the strength of Madison Cawthorn to have been able to go up against the GOP establishment and win that race. I think there is a, a ton on the line for a lot of politicians in that NC-11 GOP primary and very interested to see what happens in the next month and, and if Cawthorn can survive this onslaught. Oh, yeah. There's second primary chances in a lot of these races. So we should just call this the first primary because there's probably going to be a second. So, All right. 
For the News and Observer, I'm Don Vaughn with Brian Murphy. For the last time. Thank you, Don. Thanks for having me. For more from our politics team, subscribe to the News and Observer at newsobserver.com slash subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Under the Dome and NC Insider and sign up for our weekly political newsletter, also called Under the Dome, at newsobserver.com slash newsletters. Thanks for listening.